Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Murray Williams. In the program this week, a former All Black team doctor responds to accusations in a new book that two former All Blacks took steroids during the 1990s. The former New Zealand cricket captain Dan Vittori talks about his return to the longest form of the game, and Vittori's successor Ross Taylor looks ahead to the Australia series. We'll also talk to another new captain, Dean Cousins, who will lead the New Zealand men's hockey team at the Champions Trophy Tournament. We'll hear from the NZAU's Chief Executive Steve Chu and the Crusaders coach Todd Blackadder after the announcement of a new temporary home ground for rugby in Christchurch and from the youngest winner of Cycling's Tour of Southland. Rugby first though and the former All Black doctor John Mayhew says he's not naive enough to believe that no All Black has taken an illegal substance. But he says no All Black has returned a positive test for performance-enhancing drugs. The Press newspaper says the former New Zealand Rugby Union sales and marketing manager Jack Ralston alleges in his yet-to-be-released biography, The Sports Insider, that two All Blacks used steroids in the 1990s. Ralston, the former coach of the gold medal-winning Olympic triathlete Hamish Carter, says smaller players were under pressure to put on muscle and bulk. Ralston doesn't name them and says they told him in confidence. John Mayhew was the all-black doctor over that period. He says the first all-black was drug-tested in 1989 and there was regular testing through the 90s. He told Stephen Hewson he's very surprised by Ralston's comments. He was only ever peripherally involved with the all-blacks, I think, as a sponsorship manager. When I was involved with the all-black team for most of the 90s and uh, we had extensive drug testing and obviously I spent a lot of time with the players and I certainly was unaware of any player taking anabolic steroids and I think it's very unlikely and... Unfortunately, by not naming the players, he's cast a slur on all the players who played in the All Blacks in that era. Were steroids around or, or available? Not that I'm aware of. Certainly the players had you know, good drug education. They were warned about the risks of taking banned substances. There was a uh, very intensive drug screening you know, under the water auspices in Super 14 and also during the All Black season. So any player who was taking the legal substance, I think, would have been picked up. What about maybe earlier in the 90s? Were, were things not as strict? Uh, no, I mean, uh, the first all-black to be drug tested, I think, was 1989, and certainly drug testing was part of international rugby after that. So I suppose there it is possible that a player could have taken something and avoided the drug testing protocols, but certainly I was unaware of any player taking anabolic steroids, and certainly there were problems in, in other countries. South Africa had a few issues, and I think Wales had a few issues in the 90s, but... I'm certainly unaware of any all-black or New Zealand rugby player at that time uh, having issues with anabolic steroids. I think there may have been a, a, New, a sevens player from Otago who might have been caught for anabolic steroids in a competition in Australia, but that's the only player that I'm aware of who had a positive drug test. It was an issue that was discussed pretty readily, was it? Or well, players were obviously mean, made aware uh, of that? I mean, as part of the role as a team doctor, whether it was a Super 14 team or a, an all-black team, to educate the players on the risks of taking you know, any medications which weren't allowed, whether they're asthma 
drugs or you know cold remedies and things like that. So the players had an ongoing education, they had ongoing drug uh, testing. So um, no, certainly the players in the 90s onwards had a lot of education and, and testing to make sure they weren't taking any uh, you know banned substances, whether they're anabolic steroids or other banned substances. He's made the comment that these were a couple of smaller players. Was there pressure on players to bulk up? No, there's no pressure at all on players. I mean, obviously players may perceive they want to get bigger and stronger. I mean, you have to mention that rugby and professional at 95, the players then had more time to do training, and certainly we know that players became bigger and stronger after that period, but I think it was because they were doing formalised weight training programs or training two or three times a day and other things like that, that better nutrition. But uh, certainly there was no evidence of any pressure on the players to take any banned substance by any coach that I was aware of. I suppose given the the whole drug debate and uh, across so many sports, would it be naive to think, though, that All Blacks have not used illegal substances? That's a fair comment, but the only only way I can answer that is that in my dealings with the All Blacks over about 15 years, I was unaware of any player taking a banned substance. That's all I can answer, that they knew what they should and shouldn't take. I had no evidence to be aware of any player doing anything wrong, but I'm not naive enough to think that something could have happened or a player could have taken something inadvertently. There's always the issues of, you know, supplements which are around, and we used to warn players about supplements to be careful that, you know, if you buy something from a health food shop, it may not be all what it seems, and if you put it in your mouth, it's, you know, and it's a banned substance, you're the one who's going to carry the can. What then do you think might be his motivation behind these comments? I've got no idea. I know Jack Robinson quite well, and... Uh, you know, I think he's a very good athletics coach. Uh, he was never involved in coaching or looking after the care of any of the players. And I think his, his role in the rugby union was administrative one. So I'm not sure where he gets his information from and, uh, you know, what it's based on. So it's disappointing to me that someone's made these comments. And, and I think if they're going to make comments like that, they need to back them up with some facts. That's the former All Black team doctor, John Mayhew, talking to Stephen Hewson, and this is Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Murray Williams. Cricket now, and Dan Vittori says he enjoyed playing his first test since resigning from the captaincy. Vittori, who also retired from one day in 2020 internationals, joined the Black Caps squad in Zimbabwe after the limited overs series, taking eight wickets in their 34-run win. Vittori says missing the one-dayers may have also had a role in his performance as he felt a lot fresher. And he told me not being captain takes a bit of stress off his performance and he can just worry about himself and hopefully help out some of the younger guys. It was, it was a short series, so it's just, a, I suppose, a quick uh, foray back into it after seven months off since, since our last Test match. But I really enjoyed it, getting away with, with the guys and I suppose being back to not having the responsibilities of captaincy uh, made it... Uh, easier just to concentrate on my on my own game, and, and hopefully that was due to some part of my performance. But also, I think I enjoyed playing under Ross. I thought he did an exceptionally good job first up, and, and he's a guy who's going to grind the role and get better and better. No temptations to tap him on the shoulders and say, "Put that guy there," or uh, I think I think you know Ross let me sit my field most of the time, but he's also pretty understanding of, of what I needed to do, and I think he, he used me exceptionally well. Gave me probably more breaks than I give myself on the past, so I'm. I'm grateful for that, and some of the moves he made lead to our victory, so that uh, that holds us in good stead. How did you find Zimbabwe? You've been there before. I was looking at some of the games on television. It seems to be uh, the club set up to the grounds seem to be pretty well maintained, and yeah, no, I mean, no signs of any particular problems. No, no, the grounds are beautiful. They've got 
their grounds are magnificent, they're better than most of our grounds, so I think from that perspective they're, they're well looked after. I was only in Bulawayo, so I, we didn't get to see too much, but Bulawayo is a pretty sleepy town, and that hasn't changed from the first time I went there in 97, so it's, it stayed pretty similar. Yeah, some nice jacaranda trees I saw in the background there. It looked yeah, uh, very beautiful. As, as far as Zimbabwe goes in terms of preparation for what's ahead for the rest of the summer, um, you've had the one test there plus the, the, the shorter versions of the game. Australia is coming off two tests against South Africa, so their preparation presumably is going to be that much harder. What about for you guys? They're obviously a good team, one of the best teams in the world. We've got Plunkett Shield game um, and a four-dayer and, and Aussie against Aussie A. So that's going to be, I think, pretty good preparation for us. But the, the reality is they're a good team and you play at Brisbane first test match of their home summer. It's always tough conditions, particularly for the batters. So we're under no illusions that we, we have to play exceptionally well if we want a chance against them. I was seeing in, in the weekend paper Martin Crowe back into and for, for Grafton's senior seconds or something and, and saying that he was a little bit concerned about the depth of bowling in New Zealand. And What's your assessment? I see Chris Martin's just joined the 200 club and... Is he good for a few more seasons, do you think? Yeah, I think he's got a little bit left in them. I mean, I haven't seen seen a lot of first-class cricket being away with the New Zealand team, but I hear the likes of the um, Matt Henrys from from Canterbury, the uh, Wheeler, uh, Smalls, Bracewell, who we've seen come through, Adam Milne, who's had a chance at the higher level, um, Trent Bold at ND, Tim Southian. He's obviously still young, and I think Mark Gillespie and O'Brien, some guys with a little bit more experience, but still still playing the game. So there's a number of guys there, I think, to, to pick from, uh, and spin bowlers the same. I know there's a group of young guys coming through, and, and there's a guy um, in ND, Mitchell Satner, I think his name is, um, guy Bapinda Singh, who plays for Auckland, Ash Shodi plays for Auckland. So I think there's a group coming through, there may be a little bit away, but I, I think we're in, we hopefully be in a heyday of, of young bowlers coming through in the next few years or so. You've had your problems in, the, in, in recent seasons with, with back injuries and shoulder injuries and so forth. How did you come through Zimbabwe, and, and how's the breakaway from the shorter forms of the game been for you? Oh, well, hopefully it's been good. I mean, it's, it's, it's too early to judge. I mean, about 80 overs in the test match, so I felt like I got through it pretty well, but um, time will tell. How much can you take from Zimbabwe as an opponent? Because they probably surprised a few people with how competitive they were. Yeah, I don't really see a lot of point in taking taking note from, from any team they play against because it's all about the next game. So whatever we do in the next game is what we'll be judged on. Um, they've got some good players, and I think Brendan Taylor in particular played one of those innings that only very few batsmen could have played. Um, it was magnificent innings, and it was great for a test match on the fifth day for a guy to come out there like that. So I think we were we, we played well to get the result, but we, we know it's all about the next one. So what improvements would you see that need to be... Uh factored in if you're going to be competitive in Australia? I mean you can only judge those on the day, I think um, we're playing a different wicket, different different opponent, all those things will change as, as we go along and it will change as the test match goes on so it would be hard to sit here and say and what we need to do in three weeks time. And Australia, I mean they're, they're having their own problems and a bit of, bit of uh, few deficiencies in the bowling side of things there so does that give you any, any cause for hope or do you look at it and think they're always hard at, at home apart from one year way back when? Yeah they're always tough, I mean they're Johnson, um, Harris, Siddle, Guy Copeland, and obviously Guy Cummins that people are starting to talk about. So put that group together, I, I, I would suggest they're probably not struggling. Mm. And in terms of uh, New Zealand cricket as a whole, do you think you're reasonably optimistic about the about the future with the young people coming, younger guys coming through? Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, I, I'm really in, in awe of some of the guys that have come through. I think the likes of Kane Williamson in particular. Southey, Doug Bracewell, you look at Ross and, and Jesse are still still young guys so they can be the nucleus of the team for a, 
for a long, long time, and, and hopefully some of the more experienced guys can hang in there for a little bit longer and, and pass the baton on when appropriate. That's Dan Vittori, and this is Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. And the man who took over from Vittori, Ross Taylor, told me there's no point in worrying about having only one test before next month's tour of Australia. The Australians will have had two tests in South Africa, but Taylor says Zimbabwe gave the Black Caps a good test on a flat wicket in Bulawayo. We were lucky to get the win in the end. We showed a lot of fight to, to win on that last session. But uh, I guess the, the main thing of that is, is winning's a habit and we'll take the confidence into, into the Australian match. But we know uh, Australia are a di- different kettle of fish on their, their home turf and I'm sure the bowlers will be looking forward to having a bit more, uh, bit more to work with than the, the flat wicket that they, they bowled with in uh, Bulawayo. What have you made of, um, the, I know it's only day one in, uh, in South Africa at the moment, but they haven't got off to a, a particularly good start other than Michael Clark's century. So does... See any any light at the end of that tunnel, or is it far too soon to say? Oh, it's there's a long long way to go, and I guess getting I, I didn't see uh, the wicket, but it's been under covers for a couple of days, and I'm sure it had had a little bit in there as well. So um, no, it's too early to to say, um, but uh, you never know. Um, you know, Test cricket's a long game, and you know I'm sure Australia can still think they can win from that situation. Yeah, and it's been a while since we've won at the Gabba, isn't it? What 1985? <laughs> Maybe, maybe not quite that long, but quite a while. So, the younger guys, um, uh, Kane Williamson seems to be uh, just going from strength to strength. What's your assessment of him and, and, and young Bracewell? He just looked the part, I think. Um, Kane, he, he's a very level-headed guy and has been touted for a long time, been, a, been one of our greatest. Um, he got two good scores in, in Zimbabwe and, you know, we, we've been screaming out for a number three for a few years now and I'm sure he will want to take that and make that his own in the for 10-15 years but uh, you know that, that start that he did get in Zimbabwe I'm sure will take a lot of confidence for him into uh, the, the test in Brisbane and, and Doug Bracewell he really led the attack on that final afternoon and to get five for on debut and on what was very flat conditions will be uh, I'm sure do him the world of good coming to uh, to Brisbane as well. How quick is he? <sighs> oh, it's hard to it's hard to say I think he'd be he's not 150 but he's not 120 either he's probably Getting up there to the, the high 130s, early 140s if he's lucky. And I think the Australians normally they normally uh, put their speed radar up a little bit more. So um, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how fast you get as long as you get the wickets and um, and you put in the putting it in the right area. But more often than not, that's Ross Taylor, and this is Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. Hockey New Zealand's preparing to host its biggest ever tournament, the Top 8 Champions Trophy at Albany, where the 7th-ranked Blacksticks men will have a new captain. Coach Shane McLeod has opted for defender Dean Cousins, ahead of the captain for most of the last three years, the midfielder Phil Burrows. Cousins says he doesn't think his approach will differ much from that of Burrows and his predecessor, Ryan Archibald, who's also in a full-strength 18-man squad. But he says he was surprised to be told he was to take over from Burroughs, who's more than a teammate. There's not any animosity, you know, between us, which is good. Um, we hope we're catching up for lunch straight after this. We work just down the road from each other, so like I'm sure it'll be fine. Like I think that the tough part is the emotional side of it. Phil's, I'm sure, disappointed with it. 
so that's tough for him and you know for me it's not the ideal scenario to, to walk into but like I said I think we'll be fine we're good friends which I think is really helpful and so I think we'll just talk it through and we good as gold and there's no animosity there so we'll be right. What did you think when, when Shane called you to give give you the news were you expecting anything, any changes uh, nah. this close to the tournament? No nah, no nah, I wasn't I was, I was sitting down with Shane to talk about the programme and um, that's when he mentioned it so yeah, it was a bit of a yeah, it was a big surprise to me so yeah like I said it's an honour to, to be able to do it so that's exciting and I'm just keen to get stuck into training and get on with it. What will you bring to the job that perhaps Phil hasn't done or his predecessors like Ryan is in terms of change of style? I'm not sure there'll be a heck of a lot of difference like I kind of said before I'll just try and be myself and to be myself is just to try and set a good example at training, a good example during the games and things like that, try and work really closely with the coaching staff and I'm sure I'll just try and be me like Phil was being himself and Ryan was being himself and when he was captain I'm sure we're all a little bit different but uh, not hugely and like they're two guys that are going to be really important you know because it's not just about a captain it never is so like they're two guys amongst uh, maybe half a dozen that are really important to you know set the standard at trainings um, to work with the coaching staff around how we're playing um, our planning and things like that so It'd be good to keep working with all of them as we as we have done. Yeah, there's a very impressive depth of experience in that leadership group for one of a better yeah, term. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's fantastic experience there, and I think um, they all have slightly different values, which is great. Like you have a good mix of people. Often, sometimes it's harder when you have uh, six guys that are all just barkers or six guys that are already quiet. But um, you have quite a good mix there. You have guys that are real good strategic thinkers. You have guys that are that are fantastic trainers and can really lead the group in that in that sense too. So I think pretty lucky to, to have the group that we do. How important is this tournament to you personally and to New Zealand hockey in general? It's the biggest you've, you've seen, presumably the highlight of your career other than the Olympics? Yep, I think uh, you've hit the nail on the head. It certainly will be a massive highlight. Like You can't take away from the Olympics and uh, World Cups because you have the best 12 teams You know, there. The Olympics is just something else that's really special. But being in your home country, a tournament of this size is huge. And I think when you finish up and reflect back being able to have all your friends and family there, being able to hopefully put on a fantastic show of hockey for for the public, um, it, it will be massive. And like I know everyone's really, really, really looking forward to it, and kind of feel for the the guys. Like Shane said, there was some I think too some really unlucky guys, and um, it's it's tough for them I'm sure because they've been working so hard towards us. You've come off that uh, win in Australia, and then unfortunately a bit of a, a hiccup at the end there. Yeah. How important was the win in terms of morale boosting, and, and how much can you take from the, the, the kind of the, I guess the lesson that the Kookaburras gave you in the last game? Yep, yeah, well, I think that uh, it's good for confidence. You know, like uh, we haven't beaten them for 12 or 13 years or whatever it was, so it's really nice confidence-wise. And to me, the, the next game is just as important: drawing it but putting out a good performance. The final one's disappointing. But to me, the big lesson is you, just, you have to front up in international hockey every day. And if you're off your game, you don't start quite well, whatever it may be, then you know you get punished. So we have to make sure that we are consistent, that we do just front up every game. If we get beaten and play well, so be it. But we just, I think uh, the lesson you take from that is we just need to be on our game every, or as close to every minute as we can be. 
And I asked uh, Shane earlier the, uh, the the top five finish with all that rings. Is, is that realistic? Do you think? Yeah, I think it is. I listened to Shane speak about whether realistic for Olympics too. And w- when I reflect back on the tournaments we've been to, we've been in positions where we've been one game away from making semi-finals, and, and like you know, it's a final game in the pool. It's not like it's the first game or something like that. So we have everything sitting in front of us, the possibility to do it, and we haven't just grabbed that chance. And it is quite a biggish step too you know like you're playing last last Olympics playing Germany final pool game we win we're in the semi-finals Germany go on to win the tournament so that last step is something that we can make it is you know a reasonable size because you're playing really top teams but you know I think top five is, is difficult but certainly realistic if we perform well and get ourselves on a bit of a roll. That's the new Black Sticks captain, Dean Cousins. The Champions Trophy starts at Albany on December the 3rd, and New Zealand's in Group B with Germany, the Netherlands and South Korea. The World Champions Australia, Spain, Great Britain and Pakistan are in Group A. Rugby now, and the decision to build a temporary stadium in Christchurch is being hailed as one of the first signs of Canterbury's recovery from the earthquakes of last September and February. The government's announced a $20 million package to help develop Rugby League Park, which will also host other football codes and seat 17,000 spectators, although that will be increased to 25,000 for the All Blacks test against Ireland there in June. It'll be Christchurch's first test in almost two years after the earthquake on February the 22nd wrecked AMI Stadium and the Garden City lost its World Cup matches. The revamped stadium near the Addington Showgrounds is expected to be completed by March next year and the NZRU Chief Executive Steve Chu told Stephen Hewson that's overdue good news for the region. Nice that the Crusaders will have a home now and also good that we can take the All Blacks back there as early as June next year. And you see it being a a longer term proposition too? Yeah, well that's in other people's hands isn't it? But uh, it certainly looks as though AMI Stadium is out for a couple of years at at the very least and who knows, it may even be longer so... With the help of the government and the city council, we've we've been able to put together a, a package, and uh, there'll be a, an adequate facility there for the Crusaders. They'll be able to play all their home games, and and we've committed to take a test there as long as that facility's in place. A, a test per year is that what you're, you're talking about? Obviously, the, there's Ireland next year, but beyond that. Yeah, so we've got an international window, an international program of, of test matches now locked in place. So it'll be Ireland uh, this year, and then we'll we'll make a decision about what game goes there. Uh, in 2013 uh, in our normal schedule of events. How long-term do you see it, that Rugby League Park scenario? Well, as I say, it's just for other people to finally decide that. I mean, there's a, obviously a conversation going on between the City Council, who own the stadium, and the insurers. There's still talk that it can be fixed. I'm not an engineer, so I, I don't know whether that's the case or not, but it's, it's clearly not a, an immediate solution, and we need to have something in place, so we're very grateful particularly for uh, Minister Brownlee, who's put a lot of personal energy into finding the solution and also the, the support we've had from the Prime Minister and also Mr McCulley. What sort of financial contribution is there from the rugby union? Uh, well, we're obviously committing to play all of our games there, so we'll, we'll pay our normal rent, which is quite a substantial amount if you put all rugby together in a year. There's actually an opportunity cost for us playing a test in a smaller facility like that, so that's all been factored into it. And as I say, it's a partnership between government uh, city Council, ourselves, and, and the other codes. Right, so, so the rugby union's not actually fronting up with, with any cash. As you say, it's obviously a, a financial scenario that doesn't work the best for you, given, what, 25,000 is the capacity with temporary seating? Yeah, that's, I think that's what it's estimated to be for a test match or 
a semi-final. But when you say we're not putting anything in, I mean, rugby pays a substantial amount of rent in a normal stadium, and we're going to do the same in this temporary one. So there's a fairly significant contribution for rugby, but clearly we wouldn't be able to do it without the help of government or the council. Just on uh, a couple of other points, the All Black coaching job, have you, when do applications actually close off for that? From memory, I think uh, the 25th, is, don't hold me to it. Okay, actually, I haven't yeah. got the schedule in front of me, but it's in the next week or 10 days. And the mentoring-type role that there's obviously been talked about with, with Graham Henry, have you had any more discussions on that, or where does that sit? No, I mean, that's a medium-term conversation, as we said at the press conference. Graham's on our books till the 31st of March anyway, so we'll use them uh, during that period, and, and as we work our way through that, we're... I'm pretty confident we'll find a role for him in our coach development programs. Now you've got these six domestic tests for next year. Where are you, or have you got any sort of further down the path for the uh, the Northern Hemisphere tour for, for next year? I mean, given that there obviously isn't one this year, do you need to sort of catch up financially, I suppose, for, for 2012? Uh, well, the 2012 program is, is being discussed as we speak. We'll have some announcements as soon as those... Uh, details are, are finalised, but yep, no, we decided it was the best, uh, is in everyone's best interest to, to not go north uh, this November. You know, clearly we weren't sure where we would be, whether we would have won the World Cup or not, um, and believed that it was time to give our players some space and give ourselves some some, uh, some time also to do the coaching recruitment process properly. So do you need to play catch-up in 2012 and have more tests? I don't know whether you, you do the Hong Kong, you do Denver, or there's been, you know, talked about oh, in the past. Well, as, I, as, I, as I say, we're working on uh, the 2012 programme. Uh, now, I, I wouldn't use the word catch-up and when we have some long-term financial projections which have been set in place for a long period of time. So we, we knew what 2011 meant uh, for the business and we've, we've managed around that. Um, 2012 is a, a more normal year, but we won't be going crazy either. So how many tests would you expect all up? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that when we finalise the programme. That's the NZAU's Chief Executive Steve Chu talking to Stephen Hewson. Meanwhile, the Crusaders coach Todd Blackadder says having a home ground again after spending all of last season on the road means a lot. To me it's just the first sign of recovery and the fact that the government's prepared to put an investment here in Christchurch to, to get sport up and running for not just the Crusaders but a lot of other codes. But the meaning and purpose behind this is just fantastic. It's, I think it's just great. It means that we can play in front of our families, our, our supporters, our people. It's hard to describe how much meaning that will have, especially next season, considering that we're on the road all of last year. So I think it will just be unbelievable. I can't wait. Todd Blackadder says the prospect of a test match, it'll be one of three the All Blacks will be playing against Ireland with the others in Auckland and Hamilton, is exciting. It gives the, obviously the people of Christchurch to see the World Cup winning All Black team uh, for the first time and it doesn't feel like it because they're involved with rugby so much so I saw a little bit of the World Cup but basically Cantabrians have been starved of rugby so at least they'll get a good feast next year. It's a good super rugby and along with you know, seeing the All Blacks here I think will be fantastic. And Todd Blackadder doesn't mind it's only a temporary home. We would take whatever that was possible and it's just great to see that there is a stadium. I mean the alternatives were that we don't play, um, we play away and then we look at a permanent fixture but I think this is just what we need and it's great and to me it's a real significant stake in the ground for the future of sport in this province. That's Todd Blackadder from the Crusaders and this is Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Murray Williams.
The Christchurch Road cyclist Josh Atkins is the youngest winner of the Tour of Southland, the 19-year-old finishing in the chasing bunch with his Powernet team on last Saturday's final stage to Invercargill. Atkins rides for Lance Armstrong's Trek Live Strong Under-23 United States team during the American and European seasons, but after winning the Under-23 jersey in last year's Southland race, he came back to defend that title and wound up winning the whole tour. The win came on the back of finishing second on the gruelling Bluff Hill stage behind Hayden Ralston, the defending champion who pulled out later with illness, and then another epic uphill win in the stage to the Crown Range near Queenstown. Pure Black won the team's classification, Gordon McCauley the sprint jersey and Joe Chapman was king of the mountains. Richard Wayne spoke with Josh Atkins just after his historic victory, the rookie happy to deflect praise onto his young teammates who are all under 23 riders. Very, very happy, uh, relieved that it's over, proud of the boys and for all their work and, and what they did for me, yeah. Sounds like it's uh, once again another, another team effort from the PowerNet team. Yeah, well... You know, today was only 75k stage, but, you know, there's always fireworks in a, such a short stage. I'm not sure the average speed, but we were buddy, we were humming along for most of the stage. 43k an hour average, I was just told. So, no, it was a, a big team effort, and, and the boys really, you know, pulled all day for me. From, from the start, the boys, my team were on the front, and... We never really slowed down at times. I was thinking the guys might not make it to the finish because they were going that fast, but they kept on going. So they really looked after me and, and got me to the end. You know, I dropped off the back at the end. I knew I had it after the last corner and I was uh, soaking it up with my teammates. So once I got within that K, I knew I had it. You know, the guys riding so strong and staying at the front in the crosswinds and we were splitting the field each day. So it's a testament to how well the team rode because we're all under 23 riders with the first you know full under 23 squad to win the tour and I think might have been the youngest ever so it was a, a big team effort. Pretty impressive too considering like you say you know you haven't really come together before have you and and these these boys I understand race together sometimes but you obviously coming from uh, Trek Livestrong into this team so it's pretty much a, a new team that's gone out there and, and smashed them. Yeah well most of the boys ride together in a this year they were in Belgium a lot of the year and travelling in Europe doing a road programme. They're part of the track endurance squad and, you know, Shane Archibald's second in the world in the Omnium and most of the boys are junior world's medalists. Um, so they've ridden up together overseas. I used to ride track, but I changed to focus on road. So it was a great team environment and we really got along and just glad I had some big, big strong track riders to help me out throughout the tour. And a note on the conditions. I mean, the conditions today, uh, they cancelled that morning time trial and reduced this race. A bit of hail and, and snow still on the hills. What was the conditions like to race in today? Yeah, I woke up to snow and uh, it didn't stop for a while. It was snowing all on the roads. When we were driving out to Winton initially, there was snow on Queen's Park all the way around. So we didn't think that even the whole day would go through because, you know, it finished on Queen's Park and you can't ride in snow. So. But the time trial was cancelled, you know, for the safety of riders and, you know, everyone involved in the organisation of the of the event, you know, the health of the marshals and that sitting out in that weather would, wouldn't have been good for them. So, yeah, the morning stage was cancelled, but I don't think it changed anything in the race. I was feeling good for that time trial and I knew I would have ridden well, but the, the weather definitely was true Tour of Southland weather.
It's a real feature of the race, isn't it? And and it seems that you have to be a pretty hardy soul to get through it. Are you going to? You said last year apparently that you you weren't going to race it again. Are you going to come back and defend it next year? Yeah. No, I, don't, I never loved this weather, but I, for some reason I didn't mind it this week. It was uh, a bit a bit weird. Um, last year I said, man, it was 25 degrees pretty much every day, and I said oh, I'll just leave it at that. That's a good tour for me. I don't think I'll ever come back and do it again. But you know, I came back this year and. And it was good to have real south of the weather and, and really experience it. And I can say that I, I didn't win win on an easy tour. So, no, nah, I, I think I'll be back next year. But, you know, it depends depends what's on the program next year. And to still be racing in November is a very long season. So we'll wait and see. Of course, you're uh, with the Trek Livestrong team. Uh, you'll be going back, I suppose, early next year uh, and heading back um, overseas again? I'll be in America probably end of February, start of March, where I start with a training camp. I'll be racing with the team throughout the year, I think, starting in Europe, and then also doing a lot of stage racing in America. Uh, there might be some pretty big tours that we did in America, so just waiting to hear on that. So it'll definitely be a big year, and I hope to kind of follow in the footsteps of guys like George Bennett and the team. He's signed a, a pro contract for next year, and also Jesse Sargent and Sam Purely, who went through the team and went on to be very good pro tour riders and, and they developed as riders through Trek Livestrong. So no, I'm very happy to have another season with the team. That's Josh Atkins talking to Richard Wayne and that's the show for this week. Feedback's welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Murray Williams for Radio New Zealand Sport. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.